Hallelujah. Si tan siquiera tuviéramos una fracción del deseo que Él tiene por nosotros. If we would only have a fraction of desire for him compared to the desire that he has for us, I believe there would be not one person in this room with a heart prostrate, bowed down before God right now because the Spirit of the Lord is here. The Spirit of the Lord is in this room right now. Si tuviéramos una fracción del deseo por Él, al deseo que Él tiene por nosotros, no hubiera ni un corazón en esta mañana, en este cuarto, que no estuviera postrado, corazones postrados, humillados delante de Él. No estoy hablando de la acción física, estoy hablando en corazón. Hay veces que hacemos las acciones físicas, pero el corazón está lejos de Dios. There are times that we do the physical prostrating but our hearts are still full of pride and full of bickering and full of junk. And so I'm not talking about the physical prostrating. I'm talking about a prostrating that begins in the heart, a humbling of ourselves, an acknowledgement that God's presence is in this room. And had it not been for his mercy, it could literally consume us right now and kill us. La presencia de Dios está en este cuarto y a no ser por su misericordia fuésemos consumidos ahora mismo y quedaríamos muertos porque no somos dignos de como seres pecadores estar en la presencia de un Dios santo. We are not worthy as sinful beings of standing in the presence of a holy God. But thank God for mercy and grace. Dele gracias a Dios por su misericordia y su gracia. Dele gracias, dele gracias. Dele gracias que usted puede vivir un momento más. Come on, just thank God that you could live another moment. Thank God that he could have killed you this morning. His holiness could have destroyed you this morning. But his mercy has sustained you and given you another chance. So that you would align yourself with God's purpose for your life, which is to worship Hallelujah. Come on, just take a moment and worship. Coja un momento antes de sentarse, coja un momento y adore, 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 adore. Adore, 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 adore. Come on, just take a moment and worship. Give value and worth to the one that gave value and worth to you. Dele valor a aquel que le dio valor a tu vida. Dale valor a Él. Eso es adorar, valorizarlo. Reconocer que Jehová es Dios, que Él lo hizo. Y no nosotros a nosotros mismos. Que pueblo suyo somos y ovejas de su prado. It is to acknowledge how worthy and how worth our God is. That he created us and we did not create ourselves. That we are his people and we are the flock. 
the sheep of his fold. So we worship you this morning. We worship you this morning. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for visiting. And not only visiting, but making your dwelling place in us. We ask you to forgive us for sometimes taking for granted what is so, such an unmerited favor. We ask you to forgive us for sometimes taking your, your presence in contempt. We ask you for, to forgive us for becoming unsensitive many times to your presence. Because our lives are so filled with so much. But this morning we acknowledge that you are here and we want to just honor you. This morning we acknowledge that you're here and we want to honor you. We want to honor you. If you have hands this morning, lift up holy hands to the Lord and just, before we sit down, just lift up your holy hands to the Lord. And if they're not holy, just lift them up in faith, believing that the blood of Jesus will cleanse your hands, will cleanse your soul this morning before you walk out of this room. Just lift up your hands, everybody in this room. Just lift up your hands as a sign of surrender. the love of God that pursues us even when we reject it it pursues us we give you praise we give you praise we give you praise we give you praise This is not an adrenaline rush like sometimes people are used to. They confuse an adrenaline rush with the presence of God. This is not an adrenaline rush. This is the presence of God here. And those that are in the spirit can discern the things of the spirit. Those that are in the flesh, it's difficult for you to discern the things of the spirit and you might criticize us and you might look at some of us and say, you're crazy. I don't feel anything. Why, what is it that he's feeling? I don't feel nothing. It's just a gauge. It's just a sign that you're not in the spirit. And it should become a man, a passion of yours to want to be in the spirit so that you would ig not ignore the spirit when he comes in holy visitations. So these are moments that we can't just let pass by because our agenda desires for us to continue. These are moments that we must bask in. 
If you're tired, you can sit down. You can lay down. You could bow down. You can do whatever you have to, but we don't want to miss the moment. Come on, tell the person next to you, do not miss this moment. Because this might be the breakthrough that you were looking for. Do not miss this moment. If you're filled with the Spirit, just get a hold of the person next to you and say, come on, come on, dive in with me into the wave of God's, move, God's presence right now. Come on, if you're filled with the Spirit, get a hold of someone next to you and say, come on, let's dive in together. There's a wave of God's presence that's inundating this room and is asking us, come, come away, my bride, come away with me. I want to renew you. I want to restore you. I want to fill you. And I, I want to restore the joy of your salvation. Come away with me, my bride. Come. That's the cry of God's spirit this morning. Don't settle for the little waters that only reach your ankle. No, go deep this morning. Don't simply settle for paddling your feet by the shore. No, dive deep this morning. God's Spirit is calling us into a deeper intimacy with Him. He tells us this morning, you don't know how many places I went and I wanted to come in, but they didn't allow me because they were so focused on their plans and programs. And they were so caught up in their agendas. And they were so caught up in the ritualistic practices. You don't know how many doors I went to this morning, how many places of gathering I went to this morning. And they were singing about me, but they rejected me. They didn't want me. And he's saying, I walked into this place because there's a remnant in this house that does not settle for anything less than his presence. There's a remnant in this house that's tired of the status quo, is tired of the same old, same old. They want the presence of God. With all due respect, if you're bothered by what I'm doing, with all due respect, I didn't come here to entertain you and please you. I'm all about one person in this room this morning. That is Jesus. That's the only one I'm concerned about. I want to be able to walk off this platform this morning. Walk off this altar, walk out of the sanctuary, and hear the applause of heaven saying, you've done well, my son. Because you welcome my presence. I'm not interested in getting the accolades and the, the patting on the shoulders from you guys telling me how well I did. No, I want the Spirit of God to say, you did well, my son, because you entertain my presence.
That's all that matters to me this morning. And that's all that should matter to us as we walk into this place. Sometimes we're caught up on the impression that people are going to have on, on us if we show some emotion, if we, if we display some, some physical, amen, attitude of worship to God. We're concerned about how we're going to look, how people are going to perceive us, how they're going to define us. I could care less. I'm crying. I got boogers coming out my nose right now. I could care less. The only thing that matters to me right now is that God will be pleased. And the Spirit of the Lord is saying to some people here, the reason why I don't accept your worship is because it doesn't come from the heart. You prepare yourself for when you got to preach. You prepare yourself for when you have to teach. You seek my face for when you have to sing a special or for when you have to do worship, but you're not seeking me continuously. And so that is a worship that's not coming from the heart. God is looking for worshipers that are not limited to a place, but worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth, no matter where they are. God is looking for people, amen, that in the schoolroom would worship him. God is looking for young people, amen, that in the classroom when they feel the presence of God, they might not go into an all-out praise and worship, but they shut their eyes and they feel the presence of God and they give God his due worth. God is looking for people that will walk into the workplace. Amen. And all of a sudden, unexpectedly, you feel a visitation of God come to your desk. And you have to stop what you're doing. And just worship. That's the worship that God is looking for. Dice, la casa se ha llenado de adoradores falsos. Adoradores buscando una experiencia emocional. Y Dios dice, lo digo porque yo veo sus acciones durante la semana. No me buscan, no sacan tiempo para mí. Llegan tarde. Y esperan que al llegar yo esté aquí listo para bendecirlos, pero no me ha dado a mí el valor y la adoración que yo merezco. Y hasta que eso no suceda, serán adoradores falsos, dice el Señor. Pero el Padre está buscando en esta hora adoradores verdaderos que adoren a Dios en espíritu y en verdad. God is saying, my house has been filled with false worshipers. God is saying, my house has been filled with false worshipers. And he says, I can tell you that because I know your actions and I know your deeds during the course of the week. You take no time and you have no time for me. You come in late to church on Sunday. That's, let me tell you something. If someone gets offended with this, I don't know who came late. I don't know who didn't. I was sitting back here. I don't even know who walked in at one time. But this is what God is saying. You come in late to the house of God. You haven't spent time in the presence of God. You're rushing to the house of God. You come into the house of God fighting and bickering. 
And then you expect that I'm going to be here with a bag of blessings like Santa Claus ready to bless you. God is saying, those are false worshipers. But the Father today is looking for worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. As you chew on that, you may be seated. And I believe when God speaks, he's speaking to the children of this house. If there's a visitor here that came in lately, don't take that personal. God is speaking to the visitors, but he's mainly speaking to the children of this house. He's speaking to us this morning. Precisely. This is what we want to talk about this morning. We want to start a series of messages. If you have an infant, you're more than welcome to take them to the nursery if they get a little fidgety. But we don't have children's ministry until next week. We usually take the month of January off. Amen. But if you have a child that gets fidgety, feel free to take them to the nursery. Amen. Um, we're starting a series of messages entitled Rediscovering Our Church's Culture. Rediscovering Our Church's Culture. ¿Alguien necesita un equipo de traducción aquí? Levante su mano antes de seguir. Si alguien necesita un equipo de traducción para traducirle el español, queremos hacérselo disponible. <coughs> Discovering our church's culture, we must have a clear understanding that any church's culture that is not in alignment with the first early testament church's culture, then that's not really what God is wanting us to rediscover. And when I speak of culture, I speak of something more than just society and and the place that we live and the different cultures, the diversity of cultures and nationalities. And I'm talking about a spiritual culture that every congregation has been given by God. This church has been given a spiritual culture that is probably different from the church that's in the in the other side of town. But every one of those cultures, though they're different in expression, must be tied to the culture of the church that Jesus Christ established in the early book of Acts. And so it is important that as we rediscover our culture, that we would keep in mind what was the spiritual culture of the church in the New Testament It is important for us to understand that when we come together and we unite like we're doing this morning and worship, 
This time of unity, this time of worship is of crucial importance to the life of this church. We don't come here simply to worship on Sunday and then go about our lives and go about our business. There is something that must happen in our gathering here this morning that must impact the rest of our lives for the rest of this coming week. If not, all we did was come here and simply did our spiritual calisthenics or we simply fulfill our religious duties and then we go about living life on the fence. We serve Baal and we serve mammon and we serve the flesh from Monday through Saturday and then we'll come Sunday morning. We'll put on a mask of religiosity and come here and put on a good show. And that's not what God desires of his people. It is important that we understand that as we come into this place, this should be the result. What happens here this morning should be the result of what we on an individual basis did, amen, with God during the course of all the other days of the week. How we treated God. How we dealt with the presence of God. How important God was to us from Monday through Saturday has an impact on whether God's presence will be tangible in our public gatherings. Now, there's something that happens when we come together in unity. It happens at a, at a higher level, at a greater level when we come together in unity. And yet it happens at a lesser level when we're worshiping on our own. Just like there's something that happens when we pray alone, but that is magnified so much more when we come together and pray together as a corporate body. How many know it's good to pray as a corporate body? Amen. If you, if you believe that's important to pray as a corporate body, then I recommend you make it your business to come on Wednesdays. There's something important. As a matter of fact, let me go a little further. Now, this is not for the visitors. This is for the people of this house. But if there's a visitor here that's Christian and has made this a habit, then take it. This is for you too. At the, what time we get to the house of God has an impact as to how we treat the presence of God. I'll be the first one to apply that to me. I'm not simply preaching to you. I'm, I'm applying it to me. When we take and make it a habit to come into the presence of God once the service has started, that speaks volumes as to how we treat the presence of God in our corporate gatherings. Because worship is not limited to this part of the service that just concluded. But worship encompasses Every aspect of our gathering together. That means it includes that aspect of prayer that happens from 1030 to 11 in this house. When people are called to come, amen, and seek the face of God, amen, prior to us beginning the aspect of worship that deals with music and singing. So that's why. Our gathering together 
and the worship that we bring to God together is of great importance to the life of the church. What takes place during this time should be what prepares the way for God to come and to visit us. And with that visitation, bring revival. Somebody just lift up your hands and say, God, give me the John the Baptist anointing. What was the John the Baptist anointing? He was anointed from his mother's womb. To what? To prepare. The way of whom? Of the Lord. John the Baptist was not the Lord. John the Baptist was not seeking attention for himself. John the Baptist was called, and he understood his calling from a very early age. And that was he was called to prepare the way for the Lord. We need a John the Baptist anointing to come and revive us and awaken us so that we can learn the importance of, of, of preparing the way of the Lord. And on Sunday morning, the importance of preparing the way of the Lord is making sure that I got every, everything I need to have in order on Saturday or sun, early Sunday morning so that I could be here in the house of God from 1030 if possible to seek the face of God, to pray before God, to lay prostrate before God so that I can prepare the way for God to come. Not simply to bless me, but to save those that walk into this place that are lost. To heal those that walk into these, this room that are sick. To bring to life those that will walk into this room dead spiritually. And so we need John the Baptist anointing. See, if we don't have that anointing. We can postpone the service for another hour. We can start the service at 12. And guess what? People that don't have the John the Baptist anointing will be trickling in here at 12.15, 12.20, 12.30. Amen. Because they lack the anointing of preparing the way of the Lord. We have to get into the habit, my beloved brothers and sisters, sheep of this foe, those that God has placed under our care. It is our challenge to you, but more our challenge. It is God's challenge to all of us, beginning with us leaders. We need to take, amen, the presence of God, amen, and value it to such an extent that we cry out to God and say, God, we need John the Baptist anointing. We need to take the things of God more seriously because if we do, then we'll see the presence of God. Not simply in one service. But every time we come together, the presence of God will show up. Miracles will begin to happen. Transformations will take place. Salvations will take place. We won't have to work as hard to try to draw the people. But the presence of God will draw them unto himself. Hallelujah. See, sometimes we have, and I'm talking about we, the church, we have a misunderstanding of worship. And that misunderstanding of worship can actually impede, can actually hinder God moving and bringing life to his people. What is worship? Well, as I was preparing myself for this message, I came across this verse that I had never, I had never considered it in the context of worship. It is a verse found in Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3 verse 11. There's a part in that verse. 
that really captivated my heart. And this is what that, that part says. It says, plant, God has planted eternity in the human hearts. So what does that have to do with worship, Pastor? What that has to do with worship is that everybody that has been born, everybody that is alive today and all the people that lived in the past and all those that will live in the future, they were all born with a sense of eternity that God planted in their heart. And that sense of eternity causes every one of us to function as a worshiper. Tell the person next to you, you don't have to sing in the front to be a worshiper. You are a worshiper. You were born a worshiper. Come on, you're born a worshiper. As a matter of fact, right now, you know that drug addict that right now is probably injecting stuff in his veins or sniffing stuff? He's a worshiper. You know that couple right now that are having an adulterous affair? They're worshipers. As a matter of fact, right now in that, they're worshiping. The actions that we commit speaks to the fact that we have been born with a calling to worship. We're all born to worship. Because God has placed in us a sense of eternity. That sense of eternity is what separates us from the animal species. Because every human being was born a worshiper. Dogs and cats can't worship. You can never say that when your dog was sitting in your backyard contemplating that he was thinking, oh God, how beautiful is your creation. Oh, Lord, how marvelous is your love and your grace and how wonderful is your mercy. Thank you because your mercy has not consumed. No, no, no. No dog and no cat worships God because they were not created with a sense of eternity. Only humans were created with a sense of eternity. Meaning that there's something inside of us that recognizes that it needs to be filled and it needs to seek, seek something to fill it. And so the problem, the difference between us and the world is that we discover that the only one that could fill that void, that God placed in us, is Jesus. The world seeks to fill it through all the other things, whether it's through vices, whether it's through hobbies, whether it's through leisure. They seek to fill it, whether it's through relationships, but they wind up in the same place. They wind up in that place of desiring something and recognizing that there's got to be something greater to life than what I have, than what I have experienced, than what I have expired. There's got to be something more worth to life because we were all created with a sense of eternity. God placed a sense of eternity in our lives. And really, Ecclesiastes uses this verse in culmination to bringing us to a place of understanding that our lives are filled 
with seasons and times. He gives us a number of seasons and times that we will experience in life. Some of them are beyond our control. They're just phases in life that we have to go through. There's a time to live. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant. There's a time to reap. There's a time to kill. There's a time to raise up. There's a time to build. There's a time to destroy. There's a time for war. There's a time for peace. And so our lives are filled with seasons and times that we go through. And many of them, they're beyond our control. But he says at the end of all of this, don't get frustrated. Because you have been created with a sense for eternity. And so to the question, is there more to life than this? The answer is in your heart. Yes, there is more to life than what you have lived up to this moment. Yes, there is more to God than what you have experienced to this moment. That God has placed in your heart a sense for eternity. And that's why we're searching. We're looking. We come in here this morning searching for God, seeking God, desiring God's presence. Or at least most of us did. Amen. We came in here this morning because we knew there was something in our lives that needed a touch from God. And that is that sense of eternity. We all worship something because we were born to worship. Some worship their sports heroes. Some worship the actors in Hollywood. Some worship their favorite music artists. Some worship possessions. Some worship themselves and the pursuit of power and pleasure. But they're all worshiping. How many are worshiping God this morning? How many delight in worshiping God? How many know that God is worth more than every possession we have? How many know God is worth more than any dream we have? How many know that God is worth more than that house with the picket fence that you're dreaming for? How many know that having God is greater than the American dream? Amen. Hallelujah. I'm telling the dreamers this morning. Man, don't dream the American dream. Dream God's dream for your life. Because if God is first in your life, you don't have to worry about the government deporting you or keeping you or sending you. If God is first in your life, he'll make a way where there seems to be no way. Stop listening to the hype of the media and the garbage that is being transmitted. Those of us who love God, our lives are in his hands. You don't have to worry about got Christians out there with, with signs and like Pastor Margie was saying last week, protesting. And Man, give a word of hope to those people. Let them know that they need more than just to become citizens of, of America. They need to make sure that their citizenship in heaven is secure. That's, that's the greatest citizenship that any man can have because God has planted eternity in our lives. And so we are all going to live eternally. Whether it's for eternal damnation or whether it's for eternal glory, we're all going to live eternally. Getting excited, I know. But I just want to share a secret with you. Right now in my life, in this season in my life, this is the only exercise I do right here. Now, could you imagine if I didn't get excited when I was sweating or sweated when I was preaching? 
I'd be in a lot of deeper trouble than I am right now. So just praise God that pastor's sweating. And I'm telling myself, praise God that you're sweating. Sometimes I complain about sweating, but thank God I'm sweating. This is my exercise right here. Just being passionate about what I speak about the word of God. Being passionate about sharing about God. This is my exercise. Not to say that that justifies me not taking care of my body. Yes, I know I have to take care of my body. But for now, this is what I'm doing to take care of my body. I preach the word of God with passion. I sweat it out. If I could open your heart and get the word into your heart, I would do it. Amen. Because I'm passionate about the word of God. And I want you, as a, as a being that was created to worship, I want you to experience the fullness of worship. Now, granted, after I get off this altar, they'll probably have to carry me home, but that's okay. If I live, I live for Christ. If I die, I die for Christ. Whether I live or whether I die, I belong to the Lord. So that's all that matters. We worship someone. Now... There was an emperor in Japan back in the 1500s. His name was Hideyoshi. And so Hideyoshi, he commissioned for there to be a, a, a colossal statue built in honor of Buddha. So he wanted this statue of Buddha, Buddha to be built, but he wanted it to be huge, immense. He wanted to be one of the wonders of the world, the eighth or the seventh wonders of the world. And so he sent for them to build this big Buddha. And it took 50,000 men five years to build this Buddha. And so Hideyoshi was proud because the task was completed. And so he, he commanded that this Buddha be built and placed in a shrine that was made exclusively for Buddha. But what happens? Soon after the statue was built and placed in her shrine, on his shrine, there was an earthquake that hit the city of Coyote. Coyote used to be the capital of Japan back in the 1500s. And so an earthquake hits the city of Coyote where the shrine is and where Buddha has just been established and been placed there so that everybody could notice him and those would come to worship him. And all of a sudden the earthquake hits Coyote in 1596 and the shrine and the roof of the shrine comes crashing down. And guess what else came crashing down? Good old Buddha who had taken 50,000 men to build it and it had taken them five years to build it. All of a sudden, in the spur of a moment, it came crumbling down. It wasn't even up for a week or two. It was just, it just happened suddenly, right after it was built. And so the story says that, that Hideyoshi, I'm trying to not confuse my coyote with Hideyoshi. Hideyoshi was the person, coyote was the place. For those of you that are taking notes. I know that means a lot, the Hideyoshi and the Coyote. Amen. But what happens is Hideyoshi was so upset with the fact that the statue that had taken so long to build and that he was so excited 
to put in its proper place, that it had been destroyed in such a short period of time that the story says that he pulled an arrow from his quiver. And in a fit of rage, he points the arrow at the broken statue that was on the floor. And he shoots at it. And he speaks to the statue. How is it that you being God could not protect yourself nor protect the temple, the shrine that you were put to dwell in? That is the God's that people serve. If your worship this morning and the every day of your life is not to the only one and true God, everything else that you're giving worth to and value to is just a matter of time before you will lose it. Because anything that's not eternal and that's not divine is temporal, is seasonal. It comes and in the same way it comes, that's how quick it goes. But if your worship this morning is to Jehovah God, Yahweh, the Almighty. If your worship this morning is to Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, then I could have possessions and lose them. I could have loved ones and lose them. This family just lost, just lost their father and their uncle. Our sister Blanca and, and brother Lou, they lost their father, Louis, this week. And we lose loved ones because that's part of the seasons of life. Amen. But when we have Jesus... Though trouble and mourning and grieving comes in the night, we know that in the morning comes joy. See, when you have Jesus, possessions are secondary. They don't matter to you. As a matter of fact, when you have Jesus, people are important, but not as important to you as God. That's why Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to let go of everything and come and follow me. And one said, let me go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. If you want to be my disciple, you got to let go because that is temporal. That's, there was a season for you to, to deal with your loved one. Now they're gone. It's time for you to follow me. Because the only thing that is eternal and that has eternal fruits is the worship that we give to the one and only true God. Basic definition of worship comes from old English word, worth and ship. Meaning the worth or the value that we ascribe to something or to someone. And this concept of worship has been so mis misunderstood and misapply in our churches today that has created a, a contention, a battle. And so the traditionals, they say that contemporary worship is of the devil. The contemporaries, they say that the traditional worship is old-fashioned and out of style. And then that church says, well, we have upbeat music. This church boasts that we have, we have worship music, quiet music. The other church worship because they will sing a song and repeat it 50,000 times and until people don't and they say that's true worship and I can speak about that because I come from that I love my Pentecostal roots I love my roots and I'm proud of being Pentecostal I'm still a Pentecostal just that I'm a wiser Pentecostal I know God more today than I did back then 
And back then he blessed me in spite of my ignorance. Today he blesses me because I've made it my business to know him more. And so there's a battle. There's a, there's a war waging among even Christianity as to what worship is the right kind of worship. And so because we have a wrong understanding of the concept of worship, we have created a war. We have created a division. We are divided as a body of Christ. We've become people that instead of attacking the gates of hell, we start to attack each other. Alaba. Alaba. God didn't call us to attack each other. As a matter of fact, God didn't even call us to judge each other. God called us to be together, united, and be able to, amen, appreciate all our diversity in expressions of worship to God. But understand that what matters is not so much the style, but the object of our worship. You might worship in a slow style. You might worship with fast songs. You might worship, amen, just being quiet in the presence of God. But what matters is not what you do, but to whom you are giving it. Praise God if you can. So in order for us to truly understand the worship that God desires, we need to look at worship from his perspective. Jesus had a very interesting dialogue in John chapter 4. Remember the encounter he had with the Samaritan woman? As a matter of fact, let's go there. John chapter 4. We made announcements, right? Everything's been done. Everything's been done. We don't need to do anything else. So I can go to 1 o'clock. We finish at 1 o'clock, okay? Let's go. John chapter 4, he has this encounter with this woman that is of Samaritan heritage. John chapter 4 verse 1, it says the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, meaning it was 12 noon. And so when... A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. In other words, there was no relationship between Jews and Samaritans. But this was that, a double whammy because a Jewish man having a conversation with a Samaritan woman that alone was a social problem. And so, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Samaritans was half Jews and half Gentiles. And so if you were not a pure Jew, Jews would consider you a second class person. And so, to the Jews, the Samaritans were second class because it was a, a mixture of Jews 
and Gentiles establishing this culture known as the Samaritans. And so, Jesus answered her. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than the father than our father Jacob, who gave us the well to drink from? It is it to drink from it in himself, as did also his sons and his flock and herd. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks the water from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Jesus was, man, he just blew you away. All of a sudden he goes from the topic of getting water, now he goes and places the woman in a position for her to receive conviction of her situation. And so many times we have physical needs. That God uses, and many times we go through experience in our physical body that God uses to bring us to an awareness of our greatest need. As a matter of fact, I would dare to say that there are certain afflictions in our body, amen, that are there because, because we have forsaken the well of living water. And so God loves us so much, he's trying to draw us back to him. That he will allow us to experience some physical affliction, sometimes an infirmity, sometimes a thorn on the side, just to draw us back. As a matter of fact, some of us have already come back to God, and we still got a thorn on our side. Paul had a thorn on his side all of his life. He couldn't get rid of it. He prayed three times for God to take it away, and God said, nope, my grace is sufficient. Because sometimes what keeps us coming to God and what keeps us aware of a greater need that we have is the physical situations that we have to struggle with. They keep it. As a matter of fact, some of us, we wouldn't be serving God unless we had been put through the ringer. Because I would dare say the bulk of us came to God in a moment of crisis. Amen? The bulk of us, we came to God in a moment of crisis. Had God not intervened through a crisis in our lives, we would not be here. But we're here because God intervened and he used that crisis, he used that situation to bring us to an awareness of a greater need that we have. It's not the physical need that matters most. It is the spiritual, the internal need of our heart, of our soul that matters most to God. And God wants to fulfill that. And if we, if we allow God to fulfill that spiritual need, that inner need that is in our heart and our soul, he will take care of all our other needs. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. You see, we're too busy trying to fulfill and trying to satisfy the physical needs, the emotional needs. Amen. The educational needs, the career needs, amen. And we have forsaken what matters most, which is the kingdom of God. If you drop everything else and you start seeking the kingdom of God, God is going to grant you the desires of your heart. But we've gone about it the wrong way. Because instead of worshiping God, we're worshiping things. And so he was trying to bring this woman to a place of conviction. He said, go get your husband. And she says, well... My husband, I have no husband. Oh, really? You're absolutely right. Actually, you've had five. 
But the one you have now is not your husband. As a matter of fact, who you stole him from, where you got him from, because he's not your husband. You're absolutely right. You have no husband. In other words, right now you're living in an immoral condition. And that immoral condition, it doesn't matter if you say that you worship God from here, from Mount Gerizim. It doesn't matter that you say that you worship God from this place and that Samaritans worship God from this place. If you were worshiping the true the true God, the place wouldn't matter as much as the place of your heart, the condition of your heart. And right now, we don't need to deal about the place where you worship. We need to deal about the heart of worship. Amen. And that's what God is trying to deal with us. Sometimes we focus more on the place where we worship and we forsake the heart of worship. And we come into the house of God with a careless laid back attitude amen and instead of experiencing the presence of God we settle for entertainment and that's why the church today has become more a theater of entertainment rather than a house of God a house of prayer a house where people are convicted I am not here to make you feel good to make you feel comfortable I am a voice of God to make you feel uncomfortable to bring you to an awareness of your situation and get you to a point where your conviction would draw you back to your rightful precision which is to be a worshiper of God. That's what Jesus does with the woman. He reveals to her the condition of her heart. And he says, a time is coming and that time is now. In other words, there was a time that was prophesied was coming. That time has been prophetically fulfilled. It is now when God is looking for what kind of worshipers? True worshipers. And what defines a true worshiper? Two elements. They worship in what? In spirit and in truth. A true worshiper is one who goes beyond the emotions. A true worshiper is one who comes before the presence of God and will fight and will wrestle and will battle and will do whatever it takes Amen. And he says, a true worshiper comes with the attitude, God, I will not move. I will not leave. I will not be satisfied. I will leave this place frustrated unless I encounter you this morning in this place. And I am not going to stop seeking. And I am not going to stop uh, praising. And I'm not going to stop worshiping until I have an encounter with you. Because a true worshiper understands that tr for true worship, you need to worship God in spirit. And until you don't make that connection with the spirit. Spirit, you're not satisfied. See, we confuse the spirit with adrenaline rush. And so we've been taught that we can manipulate the spirit. So, if we accelerate the music, or if the drummer gets into this, you know, some drummers, they get into this, man, it's like they're, they're spaced out. And sometimes I say, man, I hope they're spaced out in God and not just <laughs> basking on their abilities. Amen. And so, sometimes... We attribute the move of God to what has really been an adrenaline rush. How many know that if I go to a rock concert right now, 
Or if I go to the concert of my favorite artist, a concert. As a matter of fact, I don't even have to go to the concert. I'm driving by and I hear the beat. And all of a sudden. Yeah, I'm not good with moving, but you know what I mean, right? That's an adrenaline rush. As a matter of fact, Tom might be able to explain this better than I. But in psychology, music can be very therapeutic to a patient. Is that right, Tom? Can music contribute to the well-being of a patient who's struggling psychologically? Get me the bottle of oil, please. <laughs> I got to pray for this guy. Because music is therapeutic. It, 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 it not only speaks to the soul, but it, it, it uh, uh, awakens our adrenal glands. We have glands inside that are called the adrenal glands. Those are the ones that raise our adrenaline. Some of you, your adrenal glands are raised. When your children do something wrong, right? Amen. Now, you can't, you can't call that fit of rage and anger worship, right? That's not worship. Because that, that's not worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Amen. That's just an adrenaline rush that has been created by your children's rebellion or disobedience. And that's a good thing. It has its place. As a matter of fact, the reason why our society is in the condition that it is today is because we've eliminated Eliminated corporal discipline. I'm not talking about corporal punishment. I'm not talking about corporal abuse. But I remember my days, amen, when I did something wrong. As a matter of fact, I couldn't even walk in the middle of two adults talking. Can I use you as an example, Josh? If Josh, come here. Come here, Lewis. Now, Lewis and I are having an adult conversation. Josh is my kid. And and then on top of that, it was the whack. I'm sorry. You can sit. Because <laughs> it was disrespectful. And so that act of disrespect would produce in our parents an adrenaline rush that would cause them to want to correct the action. Today we're missing that. And so we need, amen, to return to those days where children were disciplined and corrected. But in a godly manner. The Bible says that the rod is important. And the rod is used to castigate. Is used to correct. Is not used to abuse. But is used to correct. The rod meaning discipline. Corporal discipline is important. When you Bear that corporal discipline. When you give that corporal discipline up, when you don't exercise it or practice it, then what happens? A child is spoiled. You know why so many kids are in prison today? You know why so many, there's so many criminals being raised up today? You know why there's so much disrespect in society? There's no respect for, pe for adults. There's no respect for seniors. There's no respect for people in authority. There's no respect for the White House. There's no respect for the Senate. There's no respect for, you know why? Because this society has spared the rod. And so we become a society that's spoiled.
so we resort to rebellious tactics to try to get our way. But I was talking about worship, not confusing spiritual worship with an adrenaline rush. Now, in the church, you all right, John? I didn't call you that, but I see you like grimacing there. Amen. Uh, in the church, we can easily confuse, and sometimes we get an adrenaline rush because the music that's being played, wow, perfect. For example, when I grew up, Los Coritos, wow. That was amazing. We used to love those coritos. And I used to play the drums, man. I used to play those drums. And there was one beat that I used to play. And the faster I went, and the longer, it would produce a reaction. And sometimes God would bless us, not because we were doing things right, but he would bless us because we really had a heart. To want to draw the presence of God and he will bless us in the midst of our ignorance. But we many times confuse an adrenaline rush with this move of the spirit of God. I don't need to hear music to worship God in spirit and in truth. I could be in the quietest moment of my life. I could be going right now through grief and sorrow. Amen. But if I know what worship is, even, listen, I went to these, to their father's house Wednesday night. And I used this experience to, 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 to use this family as as. As a family that understands the concept of worship. I went into that living room and I told Lou and I told Blanky and the people that were there. I said, I feel, I feel the presence of God in this room. And I was saying, you know, when I got there, they had prayed, they had cried, and rightly so. They are entitled to cry. I cried with them. Because I was overwhelmed by the situation. But in the midst of that cry... As I'm kneeling down, all of a sudden I hear Lou speaking in tongues, crying like a baby. And that's worship. That's not an adrenaline rush. That is worship. When you worship God in spirit and in truth, even in a moment of sorrow, even in a moment of crisis, you return to your rightful place. You know that you were born with a sensitivity in your heart for the eternal. You've discovered that eternal sensitivity and you've responded to it by recognizing that the only object of your worship is God and that the seasons and, and, and times of this life that we go through, no matter how difficult they are, they will never take away our precision as worshipers because we've discovered that God is only looking for people that worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, what is the truth? And I'm finished with this. What is the truth element of worship? Truth element of worship is that I'm not looking to be in a place that makes me feel good. As a matter of fact, I'm not even looking for God to make me feel good. I'm looking for God's truth to be revealed to my life. Even if that revelation of truth exposes some darkness that is in my life. See, today in the church, many people are looking for an emotional encounter and experience. And they're looking for churches that speak partial truth. And so we got preachers that have taken the word of God. They've dissected it. They've taken the parts that they feel 
that could be offensive to people, and they kind of trashed it and thrown it to the side. And they just kept the part that makes the people feel good. I'm telling you, when you worship God in spirit and in truth, you're not looking, amen, for God or for anything that's done to make you feel good. You're looking for your life to be exposed in the presence of God. And if there's some darkness in there, you want that darkness to come out. If there's some sin in there, you want it to come out. And you realize that the only thing that causes that to come out is the truth of the word of God. So we can't be addicted anymore, amen, to emotional experiences and to adrenaline wash. We have to say, God, we want to return to our call, to our precision, to the place that you have given us from the moment you created us in our mother's womb. And that is a place of worshiping the one and only true God. Can you just take a moment right now and just worship him? Take a moment right now and just worship him. Just worship him. However you want to worship him. Just take a moment right now and just worship Coge un momento ahora, adora, adora, adora. Simplemente adora. Olvídate de ti, olvídate de lo que te rodea. Saca un momento ahora. Dile Espíritu Santo. Enséñame a adorarte en Espíritu en verdad. Teach me how to worship in spirit and truth. Just tell the Holy Spirit, I need, I need to learn how to worship in spirit and in truth. I'm tired of what the church has become. I'm tired of being... Amen. Addicted to entertainment. No, God, I want an encounter with you. I don't want to be entertained. I want to be a vessel used by you to entertain the audience of one. I want to worship you and you alone. Come on, just take a moment and worship. Come on, Josh, come with your worship team. Come, come, come. Come, worship team. I want you to do that last song again. I want you to do it. Come quickly. I want you to do that last song again. Come on. Come on, we got a revelation of what true worship is. Come on. It's not about entertaining ourselves. It's not about us feeling good. It's about us making God feel good. It's about us giving God a worship that he's pleased with. That when we walk out of this place, we will not walk empty like the way we walked in. We will not walk overburdened like we walked in, but we will walk in. Hearing the applause of heaven, saying, well done. Well done. That is the culture of this church. This church was never brought up to be a place of entertainment. This church was never brought up to be a place that would, that would appeal to the emotions of people. This church was raised up as a house that would understand the true worship of God. A house that would give importance to prayer. A house that would give reverence to the word of God. A house that would worship until heaven would move to earth. That is the culture of our church. Somehow we've missed it. Oh. 
With all due respect, the merge is over. The honeymoon is over. God has brought us together and united us as one body. And we must return to the culture of the church. The culture of the church in the book of Acts was one of prayer. While Peter and John were in prison, the word says the people gathered in a home and they worshiped. How did they worship? Through prayer. Folks, get it out of your mind. Worship is not exclusively singing songs and playing music. No, every aspect of our lives must be an act of worship. They prayed, and their worship was so intense. It was so spiritual. It was so full of truth that the Bible says that while they were praying in the home, the, the chains in the prison were being broken. Church, with all due respect, with all due respect, we seem to be praying and we seem to be singing, but we're not hearing the breaking of chains lately because we settle for the form of worship that the church has embraced from the culture. It is a form of worship that is tickling to the human ear, that makes the people feel good. That gives them a temporary experience, but it doesn't bring conviction. We got to return to that prayer that breaks chains. We got to give the, the word of God the reverence that it deserves. That was the culture of this church and should re be revived. We got to give the word of God. That's why we're reading the word right now together as a church. And if you have not joined that group, I challenge you. It's time for you to join get into the word of God. As a matter of fact, this Friday and I'm going to finish. We're going to sing this song and we're going to end the service. This Friday. I know there's a plan here and I know, but right now the spirit of God is moving. So whatever's not done that was supposed to be done in this service, don't worry about it. God takes care of it. This Friday God has made a call to the men of this church to put your money where your mouth is. See, we got a bunch of guys here that are complaining that God is not moving, that we're not doing enough evangelism, that we're not hitting the streets. Before you hit the streets, you got to hit the throne room. Otherwise, you're going to hit the streets with the same thing that Jehovah Witnesses take to the streets. Nothing more than dead religion. Forget about the streets right now. This Friday, God is calling us to hit the throne room. He's calling the men in this church to come. 7 o'clock Friday. Till 7 o'clock Saturday, 24 hours, seeking the face of God. Now, what will happen in those 24 hours, I don't know. I don't have a plan and agenda. It's not on me. It's on him. That's this Friday. Recommend, if you got a sleeping bag, if you got an air mattress, bring it. Just in case we fall asleep in the presence of God, it's okay. In his presence, we find rest for our souls. So I want you to get rest. So bring your sleeping mattress, air mattress, sleeping bag, whatever, your pillow, bring it. We're going to break bread together Saturday morning 
And at lunchtime, we're going to have a time of breaking bread together. We're going to experience what the early church experienced about separating a day unto the Lord. I challenge every man in this house. Take off your kilt and put on your pants and get yourself into this house this weekend and prove that you're a man of God after the heart of God. Come and see God. Now, I know some of you have to work. That's okay. But if you can make it, you should be here. As a matter of fact, don't come here because of duty or to please the pastor. You ought to come here because you're compelled. One of the problems we have today in the church is that we're doing a lot of things out of duty. Because we've lost our worship in spirit and in truth. And we're even worshiping the ministry that we're doing. We want to do ministry, but we don't take out for the God who's called us to ministry. And so these 24 hours are a time when you're going to leave ministry, you're going to leave everything that's familiar, and you're going to come before the presence of God and seek the presence of God in worship and adoration. That is this Friday. Every man in this house that's going to be here, I want you to let our brother Junior Camacho know we want to have a count of how many men will be here. So after the service, every man that's going to be here Friday to Saturday, see Brother Junior Camacho. Let him know. This way we have an idea of how many men are going to be here and how much we need for breaking of bread. Amen. Again, this Friday. Come on, just take a time right now. We're going to finish the service right now. El servicio va a terminar ahora mismo. Pero con esta revelación de adorar a Dios en espíritu en verdad, vamos a volver a cantar esa canción ahora. Pero vamos a cantarla. ¿Cuántos saben que tú puedes estar en la iglesia y estar ciego? No hay cosa peor que un creyente ciego. Es casi igual que un impío que está en la oscuridad. Muchos de nosotros, Dios nos ha sacado de las tinieblas a la luz. Pero nosotros hemos cogido una venda y la hemos puesto en nuestros ojos. Y aunque estamos en la luz, estamos sirviendo a Dios, pero no vemos porque tenemos venda en nuestros ojos. Dios quiere quitarnos las vendas para que aprendamos lo que es adorar y experimentar la presencia de Dios. Quítate la venda en esta mañana y vamos a adorar. Come on. Take off your blindfold this morning. Let us worship. You can start singing. You can start singing. Even as I talk, just begin, begin to, to worship. Take off the blindfold. You might know God and you might be part of the body of Christ. And God has brought you from darkness into marvelous light. But sometimes we put blindfolds on. And that's almost as bad as being still in the world. Because a person with blindfolds, even though he's in a lighted room, he still can't see where he's going. God has brought you to light, but you're, you can't see where you're going. And every so often you find yourself tripping and falling into sin. And you find yourself slipping into your old attitudes. Amen. Because you are saved. You've been brought to light. But you've allowed the enemy to put a blindfold. Take off the blindfold this morning. And just worship. Come on, sing. Fall fresh on us. We need your presence. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here as in heaven. Get to for this year.
Come on, I see. And I sense God bringing revival to our culture. God is bringing a revival. el mejor vino que es dejado para el final dale a Dios tu mejor adoración en este momento final as the best wine that's reserved for the end give God your best worship right now as we're about to end this public gathering give God your best worship let it be a deep cry from a heart of a worshiper Come on, let it resonate. Thank you, Father. Now we're not ending the move of God. We are sending the move of God with you to your workplace to your home to your community we're not stopping the move of God we're just redirecting it right now as he fills our lives in this room may we take them into every room of our lives during the course of this week